No one can conceive the variety of feelings which bore me onwards, like a hurricane in the first enthusiasm of success. Life and death appeared to me ideal bounds, which I should first break through, and pour a torrent of light into our dark world. A new species would bless me as its creator and source. Many happy and excellent natures would owe their being to me. With just a couple of weeks until Rona Monroe's hotly anticipated Frankenstein adaptation lurches into Coventry, in this week's Belgrade podcast, we're taking a look at Victor Frankenstein himself, the overeager medical student whose insatiable ambition drives him to create new life, but at a tremendous cost. Much like Mary Shelley, Frankenstein is a young character pushing at the boundaries of what's acceptable in his society and working on something with the potential to shock the world. Ahead of the show coming to Coventry from the 2nd to the 12th of October, I'm joined by Ben Castle-Gibb, who is making his professional acting debut in the role. Hello, Ben. Hey. How's it all going so far? Yeah, it's going. It's, it's going very quickly. <laughs> it's almost on to the final week, which is very scary. Mad. Yeah. So this is your um, professional debut, am I right in saying that? Yes, professional debut, first job thingy yeah is it a good first job to have i mean it's amazing it's getting to play frankenstein and frankenstein's just an unbelievable opportunity which i'm really grateful for yeah and it's fun isn't it it's it's run about the place it's good (laughs) yeah cool well um i think it's quite an interesting casting decision in a way because people tend to think about frankenstein as this kind of stereotypical mad scientist yeah. who's usually cast older, isn't he? Whereas sure. this is more in keeping with the original story. Yeah, Can you tell definitely. Us a bit about... Yeah, well, when I got the call from my agent saying that I was auditioning for Frankenstein, I was a bit confused because I was like, but I'm quite young. I was like, maybe I've misjudged my casting all this time. Maybe I look really old. <laughs> but no, they were, they're going to kind of, for the original text, because I didn't know the original text until I read the actual novel. And yeah, he's about my age, goes to university, gets a bit out of his own depth. He's a driven young man, and it's his ambition that kind of is his downfall. And was it a story that you'd been particularly familiar with before? No, I, I knew young Frankenstein. Okay. That was pretty much my <laughs> only knowledge of Frankenstein. And before that, I thought... The monster was called Frankenstein, as loads of people do. Like, even some of my mates now, when they heard that I'm doing this, they were like, oh, so you're getting all, like, stitches and you're being a monster. I was like, no, that's not it. I think a lot of people have some misconception and they kind of blur it with other gothic horrors of the time as well. Coming to it with that kind of freshness, then, what do you make of the story? Other than your character, what surprised you? This particular story, the role that Mary has in it, Mary Shelley's put in the forefront of this play, and... It's surprising because you think she actually thought all of this up. This stemmed from a nightmare she had. And it's almost like I'm Victor's, Mary's monster in a way. Like I'm created by this person. And for me, trying to find the way in and like empathise with Victor, it's just he's been chucked into this thing and he keeps on trying to make it better, but it just gets worse and worse. And it's just how kind of helpless he is in the situation. It's almost kind of emphasising that connection between him and the monster, I suppose. Yeah, for sure. Well, I feel as well, there are times where where it feels, and it probably rightly feels, that Victor's the actual monster in terms of he's the, the evil one. He's the one who can't see that this thing just wants to be loved. But they've got a definite connection. Like, there's a draw that, like, he was drawn to this thing when he was making it. He was like, I need to make this. 
there's a nice bit where the monster's created where it's it's like he is he's terrified but there's a moment where he's actually drawn to it and he's like but this is so interesting at the same time but then obviously he's really scared so he doesn't get too <laughs> close but there is like a an element of like oh my gosh this is horrible but this is also beautiful what I found really interesting about it is that I think traditionally Mary has tended to be seen more in connection with the monster as kind of a victim herself, but in this adaptation she's very much, she's the one that's in control. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, do, do you feel like, I, I feel like she's not always very nice to the characters, do you feel like she's unfair to Victor, perhaps? Um, not unfair, I think there's a whole load of... Not necessarily baggage, but Mary has her whole, like, actual life that's behind this. And she maybe brings that sometimes in how, like, she acts and how she comes up with these characters because it must have come from somewhere. But, um, maybe not unfair. I think everyone's trying to kind of catch up with what's going on. She starts this thing and then it's almost snowballing away from her. But yeah, if I was looking at, as Victor from the outside, I'd say that there might be moments where she could be a bit, a little bit kinder to him. Mm-hmm. But I think Mary's just such a great character. She just like throws every preconception out the window and she's just throws caution to the wind and goes where she's absolutely terrified. And she's by far the bravest character in the play, by far. And it's just it's just very hard to kind of feel in an extremely negative way about her because I think we all love the character that Rowan's written. It's just so, such a cool character. And Ailey's brilliant at it as well, so that helps. I think... You know, as you say, kind of Victor almost becomes the monster and he doesn't necessarily make the best decisions. <laughs> yeah. Does that make him hard to sympathise with from your point yeah, of view? Yeah, in a way, but then at the same time, I completely empathise and get the whole... Obviously not to the extent where I've made a monster that's going around <laughs> killing everyone I love, but when you do something, like even as a kid... And you try to make it better, but it'd just be worse and worse. And it's got to the point where he can't tell anyone because he doesn't want to get people involved in it. And he's just caught in this thing where he's trying to make it better. And it's just, I think he's just trapped. I think to go back to that kind of idea of him being very young, I wonder if you feel (laughs) like that is almost symptomatic of that. Like, would somebody more older and more experienced perhaps not have made the same decisions? 100%. 100%. Because he's got the blind ambition and emotionally he's very... He is a fairly emotionally sheltered person. Like, he only really feels grief when his mum dies. So he hasn't emotionally matured. He's lived in this big house uh, with parents. He comes from money and he's just... He thinks the world's his oyster and he wants to push these boundaries. And then when that happens, it's just... Then it's like, an oh, maybe I should have dealt with that a bit better, but I'll make it better. It's that, yeah, I could have dealt with it better, but I'm going to kind of ignore hindsight and I will rectify this mistake before it gets any worse than it has. And that's why he accepts that extreme proposition that the monster offers him in the second act because he's like this is my way out this is i can make this better obviously then he looks at it rationally and by that time he kind of he knows that it's probably going to end only one way um so it's a 200 year old story or slightly more than that i think do you feel like it still has things to say to us now definitely well i think it's going back to the mary I think it's just, it's timeless. And I think it's throwing these preconceptions of women 200 years ago out the window. It's just amazing. Like, she was an amazing person. To write that at 18, and that's putting herself on, on the line because she wasn't writing under a male, like, pseudonym. She was out there as Mary Shelley, this is it. And if I wrote that at 18, 
God, I, I'd be shouting it from the hilltops, you know what I mean? Yeah, it makes you feel a bit guilty about what we were up to when we were 18. God, don't tell me about it. Yeah, literally. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Um, so the story has meant a lot of different things, I think, to a lot of different people over the years. It's been used to talk about feminism or about families or race or all sorts of different yeah. things. Um, what does it, this story mean to you? What's your kind of main takeaway from it? personally the thing for me is it's probably the connection with family and like realizing what you have and not to take it for granted because especially in the profession that myself and the rest of the cast are in it's very is very even as much as you try not to make it is it is very selfish it's all on you like you have this mad ambition like you want to be on the stage you want to be in films you want to do this and sometimes that blind ambition can slightly put family on the back burner and not speak to them for a week because you're in rehearsals. And next thing, obviously, like, hopefully it's not going to be as extreme as the play, but it does make you think about how ambition is one thing, but it's not the be-all and end-all of his life because very quickly he finds out that his relationships and family and everyone he loves is the most important thing to him by far which I think is very important. And that's the message that I take away from it and the message that makes me feel guilty every day because I'm not potentially speaking to my friends and family enough whilst I'm doing this because it's so encompassing right now. Yeah. On that note then, um, <laughs> are you looking forward to touring, having said all of that? Yes, I am. It's it's an like, amazing opportunity to just go to all these wicked theatres, like amazing spaces that like a lot of them are on my, on my bucket list of places to perform. And like I'm now just ticking them off and going with a show that's like this and potentially inspiring a lot of young people because we should have a fair few school groups in, which is really nice because oh, there's nothing better than when you're young and seeing like a cool production or a production that makes you go, I want to do this. Even if it makes someone go, I want to write a horror story, see what happens. That's wicked, because that's why I'm here, because I watched the shows that inspired me. Do you remember what show it was that you saw that made you decide well, you wanted to okay, do Okay, I've got... Yeah, I mean, <laughs> there's a few, because I used to go... My mum used to take me to see some musicals, so I remember one time I was really young, and I went to see Cats, and I know Cats is a, is a musical that divides opinions, but I remember this so clearly. I think it was John Partridge was playing one of the cats, came up to me and just like, as he was walking through the audience, just tassel my hair or whatever it is. And I was like, that's cool. I want to do that. <laughs> and like he, playing, he was playing the cool cat as well. This is just the most ridiculous like story. But yeah, <laughs> like, and I watched the production of As You'd Like It whilst I was at drama school a while back. And that was just so cool. It was like Peaky Blinders style, really brought the text to life. It was kind of cool. People had weapons. And I was like, this isn't boring. This is wicked. Like, I want to be doing that. So as somebody that didn't know the story very well before, just to finish off with them, yeah. what would you say to other people that maybe aren't that familiar with it? Why should they come and see this? Because you won't be expecting it. There's nothing better than going to a piece of theatre where you think you roughly know what's going on and it's nothing like it. And this is very, very similar to the actual text. So it's not like adaptations where they've got the base story, but like this is, you might as well just not read the novel. No, I didn't say that, but like, do you know what I mean? You, <laughs> it... Yeah, just come along, see, because it is so cool and you won't be like, wait, that was written 200 years ago. Nah, come on. It's more like that could be, it's cinematic, it's in your face, a lot of it. Yeah. Fantastic. Frankenstein shows at the Belgrade Theatre Coventry from the 2nd to the 12th of October as part of the B2 season of Love and Belonging. For more information and to book, visit www.belgrade.co.uk. On Saturday the 5th of October... We're also hosting a screening of Universal's 1931 Frankenstein film, which you can add to your basket as a special pre-Halloween extra when you book tickets for the show. 
Thanks to Ben Castle Gibb for joining me for this week's episode of our Belgrade Theatre podcast. Next week, I'll be speaking to Michael Morland, who plays Victor Frankenstein's terrifying creation.